Well, hey, we are going to begin a new series this morning that we're calling Christianity's Greatest Questions. And this series is kind of in line with an apologetic series. We're talking about how to defend the faith or some of the major questions that people have in accepting faith in God. And so basically, this series comes from experiences that I've had through my life, going from someone who is not raised in a Christian environment at all to someone who's standing here, you know, a preacher in a church, you know, how did that happen? And what were the things I had to battle through? So we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things. Like next week, we'll talk about, you know, can we trust the Bible? The week after that, science versus religion. We'll talk about the problem of evil. And then we'll talk about the problem of hypocrisy. The week after that, that'll finish up our series. But that's what we're doing. And today we're going to start basically with my story. I'll take five, 10 minutes and talk about this. So I grew up in a good home. It was a nice home. Good people, you know, no dramatic dysfunction, you know, no alcoholism, no messy stuff like that. It was a pretty solid, stable, good environment to grow up in, just not a Christian environment. My parents grew up in church, but they had rejected the faith and basically took on a a scientific worldview as their basic idea of how everything works. So I grew up in a, a scientific worldview background with the assumption of atheism. You know, there, there isn't a God that messes with stuff in that environment. It was a good home, just not a, a godly home. And then when I was 19, Uh, I met someone who asked me about my faith and what I believed, asked me if I was a Christian. And I said, well, I'm not a Buddhist. What do you mean? And and, uh, so he said, okay, you're not a Christian. Would you like to know more about that? And I was like, well, if God is real, that'd be good information to have. You know, I didn't really care one way or another, but if God is real, you know, that'd be good to know. So I said, yeah, sure, whatever. And so he gave me a Bible to read and uh, started me in the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. So I began reading in the book of Matthew, and I got to Matthew chapter 7, and I read verses 7 and 8, and those were very powerful to me. So Jesus here, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, I had no idea it was the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus is teaching, and he says this to the people, "'Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find.'" Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And I thought, I can apply the scientific method to this verse. It says, seek and you will find. So if I seek and I find, well, then I'll know. And if I seek and I don't find, I'll also know. Because then this verse doesn't mean anything. So I thought, well, there we go. I can figure this out. Might as well bring it to a head and see what's going to happen. So one day, this is maybe three, four weeks in, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to pray. So I dropped my girlfriend off after work. It's about midnight. Drop her off at her place. And I'm driving back to where I'm staying. And I just thought, Oh, let me see. So it's, it's midnight, driving out in the roads, nobody there. And I just prayed a prayer. I said, first prayer I ever prayed in my life. I said, Lord, there's this guy. He gave me a book and he says, it's your book. And in it, it says, seeking you will find, knock and the door will be opened and I'm knocking. So 
I'm driving down the road. I pray that prayer. And then up in the night sky, I see two hands appear like this and then open up like that and freaked me out. You know, it was a, it, it was actually a very scary experience uh, and not something that I probably would have had the courage to ask for if I thought it was possible that something like that would happen. But it was, it was a scary thing. And, you know, my immediate thought was, oh, wow, well, now I guess I can tell people. And then my second thought was, well, but nobody's going to believe me. So there was that. And I was a very, very quiet person. So I was 19 when that happened. And I, I didn't really talk to people. It wasn't something that I did much of. And now I've got this stuff that I'm trying to sort through and I don't know what to do with it. You know, I, I didn't really have an understanding of Christ and the cross and salvation and those sorts of things. I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any of these things. So now I believe there's a God or I'm insane, you know, because I went through that process, which is more likely that there's a creator God of the universe that listens to people talk to themselves while they're driving at midnight and then responds to them, or that there's a crazy person driving around at midnight, you know, which is more likely. And so I had to go through that process of evaluating my own sanity and, and uh, you know, can I trust these sorts of things? And uh, the other thing that was really bad was, you know, maybe heaven and hell are real. And as far as I know, I don't know anybody that's going to heaven because I don't know anybody that loves Jesus. That's, that's a, you know, nobody shared the gospel with me except this guy I just met, you know, a month ago, you know, not family, not friends. I don't know anybody. And that was a horrible, horrible realization that people I loved and cared about could be in significant danger of losing something beautiful and finding themselves in something terrible. And so that was difficult because I felt like I had something to say, but I didn't know how to say it. Anytime I would try to talk about these things, you know, the the people I was hanging around with, they just didn't respond very well to that sort of thing. So it didn't go well. I didn't know what to say. And so I, I basically just buried these things. I didn't really talk about them. I'd never shared this story until probably a couple years later. And I really went into kind of a significant depression at that point. I drank a lot. Uh, I dropped out of college, just didn't have any motivation for anything because, you know, if this is a created secondary reality and the real reality is something that is out there, you know, who cares? What difference does this even make? You know, like I was working hard doing the normal thing that you're supposed to do, trying to be successful and whatever. And, and I just thought this is completely pointless. And so I just dropped out of everything. So I did that for a couple of years, slowly slid through that depression. And uh, then I just thought, well, what, what difference does it make? You know, why do anything? And then the next question is, well, why not do something? So I was like, well, all right. So I went back to school, studied philosophy. Uh, I didn't know about like Bible colleges and that sort of thing. My closest way of, of kind of exploring these sorts of questions was through philosophy programs in secular universities. And so I did that, got a couple degrees in philosophy. That was very helpful for me. One of the great things about philosophy programs is they will help you doubt your suppositions and the beliefs that you were raised under. And so it helped me to doubt atheism was really, really helpful because then it gave me the crack I needed to be able to have faith because you don't have to prove God. You just have to have room for faith. And having room for faith intellectually was very, very helpful for me. So 
I reconnected with just life and and started studying philosophy. That was extremely helpful. I was hoping that I would be able to give a rational reason for people to believe in God and to be able to explain it to my friends and family in a way that they would have to believe. And we'll cover that probably week three, some of, you know, some of the things I discovered through that process. But one, one of the things that happened while I'm going through that is there's an anger building in my heart. So basically my perspective was, you know, I can't believe God is real. And then I can't believe the church is so incompetent. It just made me so angry. I thought, my mom is going to go to hell because you people are idiots and you can't represent God effectively. So I was very angry. You know, like you have taken the Alpha and the Omega and made him a cartoon character that no rational human being can believe in. I mean, I can't even express... I can feel it a little bit right now. I can't even express the depth of just seething rage that was in my heart towards the church. It just was harsh. You can ask my wife if I'm overstating that. Um, She will say no. So if you're wondering, because he seems like a nice guy. I don't know. He's even got kind of angry person. Talk to her. You'll, you'll know somebody who, who knew me back then. I mean, we'd go to church, and I mean, I could wrong spot. I was gifted. I got degrees in wrong spotting. You know, I could find what was wrong in that sermon. I mean, I was so good at it. Uh, and I, I literally was very, very good at that. I think it was top level at wrong spotting. So we'd go to church, and I'd just rip the sermon apart on the way home. It was bad. And so this anger is building over time. And now we're seven years in from the first experience that I described. And somebody invites me to the Promise Keepers convention down at the Dome in Minneapolis in in 95. And so I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll go. So I went with these people. And uh, uh, there was a time where they decided they they were going to have all the pastors stand up and we're all going to cheer for them. And I'm like... I'm not cheering for them. You know, I mean, they're the ones steering the ship under the rocks. You know, I'm not going to cheer for them. But where am I going to go? You know, it's in the dome. I, there's 65,000 men. What am I going to, you know, like, oh, excuse me, pardon me. You know, I'm trying. So I just thought, oh, I'm going to wait it out. Whatever. It's fine. I'll just sit here. I'll just wait it out. It'll be okay. And so they had the people in ministry stand up. And an interesting thing happened. Like, I recognized some of them. Not that I knew them, but. You know, I passed that guy and his son who were both standing up. I just passed them in the hallway and I remember seeing them and they were laughing and I thought, oh, those seem like nice people. And, and then I thought, oh, they're the evil monsters that are destroying the things of, of the faith. You know, like, uh, I'm not sure. And then I saw another guy stand up that I was near in the hot dog line and he seemed like a real nice guy. And I just thought, these aren't monsters. These are just people doing the best they can with what they know. And they're not perfect, but at least they're doing something. And what am I doing? I'm just being really angry, but I'm not accomplishing anything. I'm not making any sort of a difference. I'm just angry. And by now, everybody's standing up. I'm standing up too. I don't remember how that happened. Everybody else is having this certain experience. I'm having a very different one at the same time. And I stand up and it's like that anger was in my chest, like a cold bucket of water. And all of a sudden the bottom of the bucket just fell out and this... I felt it just drop out and uh, a love from God for the broken church hit me so hard that it was almost unbearable. And I 
was going to say something like, oh my goodness. And when I opened my mouth to say that, then some other crazy thing came out of my mouth. I didn't recognize what was happening. I'm like, ah! So I sat down and was like, what in the world? And so that was my introduction to baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it was the heart transplant that I needed. And so now I can, I can work with the most messed up Christians. I can work and, and help churches work together with all their imperfections and all that. I feel like God has called me into that to kind of be a bridge. And that, that has stuck. You know, now it's been a long time since 95. And that, that's the heart change from God that I needed. Then five years after that, got credentialed with the Assemblies of God, planted a church in Big Fork, and now it's been 19 years in ministry. So that's kind of my basic progression from not knowing God to where I am today. And so today, I kind of want to set the stage for this series by giving you permission to be curious about the things of God, to encourage curiosity, because I think there's two major roads that people go down in their life of faith. There's either curiosity about the things of God, which I'm going to strongly encourage, or there's conformity to social pressure that they're telling me I should say this. So I guess I should, I want to fit in with the group. So I'm going to say, I believe this or that. So conformity to social pressure, I do not feel helps you spiritually, but curiosity about the things of God is something that's very profound, very important, very helpful. Let's go back to Matthew seven, seven. As I mentioned earlier here, Jesus says, seek. He says, ask, knock on the door. This is talking about being curious about the things of God, going to God and asking questions, seeking God, trying to find out what in the world is really going on rather than just conforming because of social pressure. So I really think that God is very much interested in us being curious about who he is and really seeking God. It's very important. And here at Good Hope Church, I want this place to be a place where I would be welcome at any stage of my life, where that, you know, unchurched eight-year-old would be welcome, where that teenager who couldn't care less would be welcome, where that angry new believer, 20-something would be welcome. Now we won't let him volunteer, you know, he won't get to have any influence, but he can be here and we can love him while he learns and grows. And then the the excited now usable, you know, late 20s person who's just so on fire to be able to serve God that that person would be welcome and have avenues to be able to express their their desire to grow in ministry and, and I want that person to be welcome at all those stages here at Good Hope Church. So that's what I'm looking for. You know, the Bible, I really do believe, encourages curiosity, encourages seeking God. I want to go to Acts chapter 17. 
starting in verse 10, we pick this up. Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey. So they're spreading the news of the gospel around to these different places. And, you know, it goes well in some towns, other towns, it doesn't go well. And they're in a very dangerous environment in Thessalonica. So at night they, they escape, Paul and Silas escape. And that's where we pick it up. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So these people are described as having noble character. Why are they described as having noble character? Because they received the message, they listened, but they didn't just buy it. They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So they questioned Paul. Okay, you're saying that Jesus is the Messiah? What basis do you have for that? And they examined the scriptures. You're saying that the Messiah, the rescuer, the deliverer gets crucified and killed? What? That doesn't make any sense. Explain that. And so they, they dug through the scriptures and they were described as having noble character Not because they just said, okay, yep, 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 I believe you, yep, yep, yep. But because they didn't just buy it, but they looked into it themselves and looked to see, is this actually really true? So Jesus tells us to seek. Here we see the Bereans are described as having noble character because they're willing to seek. And then there was good response. Verse 12, as a result, many of them believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Many of them believed. I am convinced that God is real. I am convinced that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world and that we all can have a relationship with God that builds us up and brings us to everlasting life. Now, this is good news. I am not at all intimidated by someone who wants to ask a hard question because I am convinced that at the end of every hard question is the truth of God. You know, this is one thing that I don't see in the scientific world that I see in the Christian world. And it's very unfortunate when a scientist runs an experiment and they see some very contradictory result to what they've been taught. They don't have a a crisis and think, oh, no, science must not be true. And they go run and cry. You know, they don't do that. They just think, wow, this doesn't make any sense. There's got to be something amazing behind this door. And they're excited to look. So many people who are believers, they, they notice something that isn't the same as what they were taught in Sunday school, and they have a big faith crisis. Well, look into it. Go find out. Ask the hard questions. Dig through it. Get to that place where you find the answers. You know, we'll be, we'll be talking about Thomas, the disciple. He was great. Jesus said to him, you you believe because you've seen. Blessed is he who believes who has not seen. If you can just walk by faith, hallelujah. If you can go through this life and just trust God from the start, hallelujah for that. Do that. I wasn't able to do that. I had to spend some years fighting through this process. And what I don't want is for people who need to fight through the process to not be given an avenue to do that. So, it's, it's really about long-term stability. I like to go canoeing, and there's, there's kind of two types of canoes. There's the wobbly canoes, and then there's the more stable canoes. But there's two types of stability in canoes. There's initial stability and secondary stability. 
Initial stability means when you get in, it doesn't really move. But secondary stability means that it can tip a little ways, but it doesn't go all the way over. So those canoes that are wobbly at the beginning, they usually have a spot where they like to stop and they don't go all the way over. The ones that are very stable at the beginning, once they start to go, you're going all the way over. And I think that we've too often been afraid of that initial wobble that we've put ourselves in a position to when the big question, the big hurt, the big issue happens where then the whole thing goes over. Let's go ahead and ask the questions now. Let's fight through those things now so that we can get to a place of stability because I believe that we can get there. So I encourage you, be curious about the things of God. And I want to talk about three things that are needed to safely explore the things of God. Has anybody ever wandered off into something goofy when they're exploring the things of God? Yeah, it can happen. So we want to do this safely. And so I'm going to give you three principles to help you explore the things of God in a safe manner. The first one is to study the scriptures like the Bereans did. Go ahead and ground yourself in the word of God. It's very important. Next week, we'll talk about whether or not you can trust the Bible very, very important thing, hugely, hugely significant, but ground yourself in the scriptures. It's very, very important because it isn't about looking in our heart and finding our opinion. It's about seeking something on the outside of us, a truth that's greater than us. So we need to look on the outside and the easiest thing to look at is the Bible. So ground yourself in the scriptures first. The second thing These aren't in any particular order. I would say you got to do all three. If you're missing one, it's going to be rough. The second thing that I have listed here is to learn how to hear from God. Learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit. Some people, they pray and they say God told them something and that was not God. You know, like it, if you get that part wrong, it can be a mess. But if you get that part right, it's beautiful. Let's look at John 16, verse 13. Jesus is, is speaking here, and he's talking to his disciples, and he's preparing them for his departure and for a new experience that they'll be having. When Jesus leaves, he sends the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says here in this verse. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he would tell you what is yet to come. So here Jesus gives his disciples a promise that the the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth will come and guide them into all truth and even be able to disclose things about the future. So if we can hear from God effectively, it's going to really, really help. When I was a brand new believer, of course, you know, I had these experiences. And so my first thought was, well, when you pray, I guess God shows up. So I, I prayed a lot and I asked God a lot of questions and I got a lot of answers and it was extremely helpful. And so the girlfriend I dropped off uh, after work was Trinette, married her later. Uh, the guy who gave me the Bible was her dad, you know, super cool stuff. That's a great story. But uh, so then now I'm going through this process and Trinette has an established mentality of how it, how Christianity looks and that sort of thing. And, and I told her, I said, you know, I don't care who's right. It doesn't matter to me. If the Jehovah's Witnesses are right, we're going to be Jeho- Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, if the Catholics are right, we're going to be Catholics. I don't really care. Uh, we're just going to figure out who's right. We're going to go with them. And which freaked her out, you know, like she's like, no, you know. And so then I asked God, you know, because I thought I got to hook up with the right people. 
So I asked God, I'm like, who's right? I'm just in prayer. I'm like, I don't want to hook up with the wrong group, be taught a bunch of garbage. I, I want to know who's right. So I asked God, who's right? And there's instant answer. None of them are right. You know, you want to find a perfect church? It, it's not going to happen. It's full of people. You want to find a perfect denomination, a perfect organization? It's not going to happen. Full of people. Now, some are messed up and some just have imperfect people in them. You know, so you want to find one that just has imperfect people, not one that's messed up. But that was so freeing to me because then I didn't have to find the perfect church. Then in my wrong spotting, if I found something that's wrong, well, big surprise. You know, like, what are the odds I might say something wrong in the future? What are the odds? Like, very high, right? So guess what? That shouldn't be a big shocker if I say something that's wrong. Have your eyes open. Pay attention to that sort of thing. You shouldn't expect me to be perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to honestly do the best I can. I take this very, very seriously. But I very likely will say something wrong in the future. So that was some stuff that I just gained by learning how to hear from God. And so then the third principle, which lines into this, is align yourself with the right people. You know, the old adage, I think, is so good. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You know, it's, it's so true. You got to align yourself with the right people. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. So very shortly after 7, 7 and 8, verse 15, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So he's saying, you got to be careful because people are going to teach you the wrong thing. Now, way back 30 years ago, when I first started exploring the things of God, I think there were 600 different denominations, Christian denominations in the United States. Now I believe it's over a thousand. And uh, well, the reality is there's plenty of falsehood out there. There's plenty of wrong teaching. There's plenty of stuff that's not good. So Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. The reason he said that is because there are false prophets. There are people who are going to teach you the wrong things. So you need to be very, very careful. But how do you find that out? Jesus goes through a process, then verse 20, well, we'll do the, the summation of it. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So some people, they're very charismatic, they're very friendly, they might, you know, meet an emotional need that you have, but you notice there's, there's some dysfunction in their wake, there's these issues and problems. Well, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So look not just at the surface, but look at what has the, the track record been for these people, and then that will help you line up with the right ones. Luke 6, 39 is a fun one. Jesus says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? <laughs> you know, if somebody's leading you and they don't know where they're going, it's not going to work out well. Second Peter 3, I like this one, starting in verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures. So Peter is talking about some of the books of the Bible that the apostle Paul wrote, and he's saying that there are people who distort these things because they're difficult to understand, and they do that to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. So basically, we need to be very careful to align ourselves with the right people. But again, people are people. Don't look for perfection, but look for an environment where you can grow in a healthy way. It's very, very significant. 
So study the scriptures for yourself like the Bereans did. Don't just buy what somebody tells you and then learn to hear from God. A couple ways that can help you hear from God. First thing, you've got to quiet your spirit. There's all this noise. There's all these things that are going on in your head. You've got the things that you want, your, your basic presuppositions. You've got your biases. All of that, you've got to quiet that down and then don't have a horse in the race. I think one of the great things that helped me in the early years was just not caring. I mean, that sounds weird, but if I'm trying to prove that what somebody told me is right, that's different from just, I don't care what it is. Just Lord, just show me what's true. You know, it's so much easier when you're not carrying that baggage. So I believe my religious upbringing was the second best religious upbringing you can have because I didn't have any baggage. You know, it would have been great to have a really high quality Christian upbringing, but not having any, you know, religious dysfunction was also very, very helpful. It helped me a lot. I'll talk about this next week some, but for the first 10 years, I decided I'd only read the Bible. Since I had this kind of clean slate, I didn't want to have other people's biases and perspectives put on me. I'll just do the Bible for 10 years. I went to church and stuff like that, but I didn't study theology and different perspectives. I just studied the Bible. After that, then I could decide whether or not a particular theology fit what I had learned in that previous 10 years of study. So that was the direction I went. That's, that's an important way of hearing from God, quieting your spirit and not having a horse in the race. Then align yourself with the right people. This will help tremendously. They don't have to be perfect, but they have to be people of good character that don't have a lot of destruction and dysfunction in their past. For the, uh, for the strong believers here, I want to put you at ease. The more freedom that I've given to myself to just explore the things of God, the more orthodox my Christian theology has become. You know, I'm not interested in these fringe theologies that just, they don't line up with scripture. You know, the basic things, Bible's true. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. There is heaven and hell. You know, these sort of things, it's just the basic stuff that's the most important. And I believe that when we truly explore, we're not going to be brought into weird side theologies and just these fringy ideas That's usually people who are trying to set themselves apart from the crowd, but that's not true. It's just different. And if they value different, they're going to find themselves over there. But if you go to just looking for what's true, I believe you're going to end up in Orthodox New Testament Christianity. All right. We're going to close here in a few minutes. And I just want to talk about a few more things as we finish up today. I had a a tremendous, what they call intellectual angst. When I first became a believer or first started exploring the things of God, because of the experience I had, I had this idea that there must be a God that that somehow can know us and care about us and hear us and respond to us. But then my next thought was, well, where is he? How does this, how can he hear me if I'm in the truck driving down the road? How does that even work? angels and demons and healing. And how how does that, how is that even possible? You know, like it just, to me, it, it didn't make sense. I was terrible in my early years. I'd ask Christians horrible questions that they couldn't answer. But, uh, you know, one of them was like, where is God? You know, is he hiding behind the moon? You know, where is he? And, you know, there's no room for me to understand that. We'll, we'll talk about the answer to that week three, but I had all these internal conflicts in my 
understanding versus my experience. And so I just want to talk about four responses to this internal angst. Response number one is simply skepticism. You know, this one has the coolness factor, but it's not really going to lead you into the truth. It's just a resistance. So you can be cool and be a skeptic, but I don't think you're going to find truth. A better way to go is earnest exploration, to just honestly seek, to earnestly explore the things of God, avoiding the social pressure, but seeking the things of God. Another, I think, problem way that people deal with intellectual angst is they just submit themselves to cognitive dissonance. You know, some Christians are just, yep, it's contradiction. I believe it and moving on with my life. Uh, I, I don't like that. I don't think we should submit to cognitive dissonance. It, it causes us to go forward into things that don't make sense. And it's also not something you're going to be able to share with somebody else that's going to make any sense. So don't go down the submission to cognitive dissonance road. And then earnest exploration eventually, as you mature, turns into walking by faith, where you're exploring, you're trying to find out, and then as the years go by, you get to the place where you're trusting and you're going forward. And that's a beautiful place to be. Now, people are complicated. I think you can be in all four of these at the same time. But let's work our way towards earnest exploration and walking by faith. And again, as the next weeks come by, we're going to talk about trust in the Bible, science versus religion, the problem of evil, and then the problem of hypocrisy. So as we close, I just want to say this. I didn't fit in because I had big questions. I had questions that people were afraid of me asking, and it, it made it difficult. If you have big questions, don't worry. You're safe here. You can have big questions and be here. That's okay. I believe that God will reveal himself to you over time. One of the great blessings that I had in my life was the man who gave me a Bible. Also, and he still to this day is doing the same thing. He's prayed for me every day. You know, when you grow up and no one's ever prayed for you, and then you find someone who'll pray for you every day, that's a big deal. But he prayed that God would reveal himself to me, and God revealed himself to me. I believe if you've got big questions, you've got conflicts and contradictions in your heart, that God will show himself to you. So you're safe here if you've got big questions, and I believe God will show you some things. But wherever you are, I really, I implore you to believe Matthew 5, 8. So this is something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the Beatitudes, they call it. But he said this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you want to see God, then purify your heart. That word pure, the Greek word is the word that we get catharsis from or a cathartic experience. It's basically, it's the emptying out of all the baggage and the darkness. And that's the pure heart. And if our heart is pure in that sense, the promise here is that we will see God. We can seek and we can find. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good, Lord. I thank you for your grace and mercy shown to me and Lord, shown to all of us. Lord, if if we can find it, we will see it. And then we can believe in who you are, in your greatness, in your love, in your mercy. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would have a pure heart that seeks you, not with an agenda, not driven to prove something to somebody. Lord, that we would just drop all of that to the side and be curious about who you are. Be curious about 
the, the ways that we can know you and walk with you in this life, the things we can learn from you, how we can stand together. Lord, help us to, to see these things. Help us to grow and to know who you are. Help us to jettison our biases and the ways that we distort your truth. And Lord, help us just to see clearly who you are so that we can learn your ways. We can represent you here well and people can come to know who you are. Lord, I pray a blessing over each one. Lord, that your peace would be upon us, that your joy would be our strength. Lord, that you'd give us faith to move mountains. And Father, that you would reveal your love to us so clearly that we would be filled up with your love and be able to share that with anyone in this world that needs to be loved. So Lord, bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.